This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 40th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson join me as we talk with the one and only Jeffrey Luth. The title of today's podcast is Dumb, Dangerous, Difficult and Different. We explore everyday learning, understanding weak and strong signals, using learning teams to get better understanding and using a worker-led method called the 4Ds of dumb, dangerous, difficult and different. Jeff is doing some amazing work in this space and we are proud to be able to take part in extending learning and improving in everyday work. Please sit back and enjoy as we explore everyday learning with Jeffrey Luff. Welcome listeners, today is a fantastic episode because it's the first time that we've got the three authors of the uh, Practical Learning Teams together. So Brent Robinson is in Auckland. He came across from Australia. Fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated, which is fantastic. COVID, and along COVID tested. COVID test, that's right. We don't let anyone on the border without a without a COVID test. And I've got Glynis here and myself. And we are joined today by Canada's favorite son of the new view of safety, Mr. Jeffrey Luff. How are you, Jeff? Hello, friend. Um fully vaccinated son of safety. I'll I'll have you know. Well, well, we will open the door for you as well. Come on, come on down. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to come back. Uh, look, we're, we're, we're super excited. And um, I'll, I'll continue to be optimistic that uh, maybe it's something that we can achieve in um, uh, 2022. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should I think we should strive for that in 2022. The way we're headed now, I, I think that's reasonable and that gives us lots of good time to plan uh, plan the festivity. Yeah, and, and look, I'm keen to do a road show. I, 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 I just imagine we could hire this massive oversized RV. We bring Todd down. <laughs> we can do some white water rafting. Um, we have a bluegrass band on board. Fish tacos. And fish tacos. How does that sound? Sounds oh, pretty good. Goodness. Sounds like a taco. That sounds really good. Yeah. Throw in some of that great New Zealand wine and we're off and running. Oh, no shortage of that. The reason I wanted to get together is that, um, as you know, we've, we've been quite active lately in sort of pushing um, the boundaries around everyday learning and trying to operationalize everyday learning as well. And we were super excited about um, about the feedback and the number of downloads of our Everyday Learning doco that was produced. And, and I can't help but feel that um, more and more organisations are wanting to have that conversation about how can they learn from every day. Recently, I pulled together a little diagram of, of the classic iceberg diagram, where we talk about you know, what we see above, above the, uh, the, the, the sea line versus what we see below. And I was really conscious that a lot of activities um, that we do around things like audits and observations and worker engagements and all these wonderful things, that very few of those things actually look to understand the size of the iceberg or the mass of the iceberg. They're really trying to chip away at the iceberg. What what have been your thoughts around that? Oh, I I, I follow. I, I think that's 
that's a fine way of putting it. Uh, personally, I, I'm a little bit reluctant around um, iceberg models just because there's been a number of them and, and, and they work. I mean, they work quite well um, to describe this. Um, but I, I don't know, there's something about um, pyramids or icebergs that, that uh, are a bit concerning. But I, to the, what you're saying, I completely agree with. I, I think that this, this work we've done lately, where we are now, um, one way I've been thinking about it recently is that we've done a lot of work over the last few years to, to push back the threshold um, where organisms begin that blame, shame, retrain, or, or any other form of retribution. They've used it quite liberally. And if we get them to reserve that and, and, and push that back, um, it creates a real opening to learn. It, it, you know, it's almost like, uh, what else? What? It's like pushing, it's like retracting the cover on an in-ground pool and revealing the water below. And, and I think that, as you were saying that about an iceberg, you know, I like to think about, you know, sending back that blame and retribution to open up these new opportunities uh, or previously hidden opportunities to see context. What about a glass bottom boat? What if it's metaphorically, um, you know, we, we, when you're, when the hull of your boat is opaque, you just wonder what's down there or you assume nothing is there or whatever is down there is of no interest. But as soon as you have a glass bottom boat and you get an idea of what's down there all the time, I think that's really the incredible thing. I don't know. It might be a goofy metaphor, but, but I think we're all saying the same thing is that when we, we open up a greener pasture of learning in our own organizations, we create that opportunity by um, using less blame and retribution and more avenues to inquire and appreciate uh, everyday work. If we, if we think about Eric Honagel's um, uh, diagram, you know, everyday learning is really that big mass, that circle, that, that concentric circle that he shows. And, you know, you've yeah. got the accidents and incidents, got the everyday component. And I sort of, I sort of think about how do we create that visibility? How do we allow organisations to see that? Because, um, you know, everything above the waterline is very much led by the organisation. And what's been puzzling me is that if we want to see what's below that waterline, if we want to look through that opaque hole and, and look underneath, then, you know, is it something that should really be focused about being worker-led and organisationally supported? Mm, mm, interesting, interesting. Well, and I know it. I love our conversations, guys. Let me just—you can edit this out, but I just want to say how much I love our conversations. Um, um, I, 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 question that came to mind is an expression I've heard my entire career, and that is compliance is the minimum standard. And, um, you know, other things I've read lately that have said that it's not a regulatory requirement to making inquiry of our organizations in different ways. Um, so there's there's a couple of things here. We've got a lot of local companies that have taken that quite literally compliance and standard numerically. Um, but I think conceptually, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about um, uh, it's far beyond uh, compliance and enforcement to to uh, really develop an appreciation for the richness of the context in our work and, and go and, and look at that. So um, it's definitely the new horizon. It's definitely a new necessity. Um, the future is now. 
I heard somebody say the other day, and I thought that feels very true as we are starting to travel a bit more and, and move into spring here uh, in North America. And I, it feels like we're, we're living in the future, and it's, it's no longer an anticipation. It's a time of doing it, and we're doing it. And we're showing the results. It's just very exciting time. You know, the thing that we're trying to focus on at the moment is how to operationalize these things. And sure. you know, I think the, the first part of it, Jeff, is is how, how do we how do we feed this information to people in, in a way that's that's digestible? And you know, so at the moment, there's a lot of noise in the market. And you know, we can take all that noise, we can chuck it into a blender, and we can either blend it into mm-hmm. baby food. Or, or maybe we can blend it into a nice little consomme. <laughs> a mousse. It's got to be whip it into a mousse. I think a the mousse. issue is it's got to be consumable, doesn't it? At the moment, we've got these really, you know, stunning ideas that come from up on high, and what we've got to be able to do is help organisations turn it into something that's valuable and consume it and use it and and make it part of their daily their daily going to use this uh, keep using this nutrition like process or discussion it helps provide the nutrition to the organization and i think that's what we're going to help do and you know when you're up on high it's hard to tell the difference between whether it's baby food or uh, as a, a smoothie as my uh, my kids <laughs> like to eat or it's um a gourmet five-star soup you know it's all got the same ingredients in it we've got to help them help people digest it and I think there's a kind of an extension on from that. I think it's also about how do we embed something that is sustainable so it actually becomes the, you know, business as usual rather than this thing that is, you know, seen as a bit of a fad or seen as something that you're kind of trying new that this is, you know, kind of new territory. Actually, what we want to be able to do is embed it so that it just becomes part of practice. It feels as though in the last few years, I think we've, we've had a lot more success opening up, making the first steps in opening up organizations learning and we've been pretty successful coming in and you know giving them a first taste of learning and and what that can be but for them to take next step i think the information starts coming fast and uh, it's a lot to handle and so um these you know ideas and 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 methods and means of of um of, of once we've unleashed all that information once we've cracked the pinata open and kept is right everywhere. How do we process it? How do we handle it? And, and that. And so I think that that these tools, these ways of doing that, I, I think are are really necessary at this point to, to answer the next need. I like to think of it like frequency. That you know you've got this this wave of peaks and troughs coming through, and, and it's hard to discern those over a long period of time. But you can pick them out. You know, you're going you're gonna to see some signals that are reoccurring. It's the same pattern. And if you have a mechanism that lets you separate that out from the stream of noise coming through, that's going to be quite a powerful way of looking at stuff. I think that's where we've got to get to. But it has to be relatively simple as well. Yeah, 100%. So, so one of the things, Jeff, um, now when we run learning teams, there's never a shortage of learning. No. And the more learning teams you run, the more learnings that can be gained. And I'm sort of wondering, um, you know, there there is, uh, you know, time, effort and resource needed to run a learning team. 
and the value of them and the feedback is amazing. And what we've been thinking about is how do we turn learning teams into more of a, a targeted opportunity? So how do, we, how do we look at something so that we can get workers to sort of um, share with us that narrative that we can then try and make sense of that data and then use a learning team to really get in there and, and understand it at a much deeper level. So how can we get things that are that you know that are worker led, where they can can give us give us that 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 key intelligence, that stuff that we love, and then we can then use a learning team very much as that sort of um, uh, that whole curious component and and digging and getting a deeper meaning and understanding. You know, we've talked a lot about the resource required for learning for the resources expended on on investigations versus the resource expended on learning teams and the, the difference in in yield um, so I think that the 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 time and expense and effort that goes into a learning team is really nothing compared to the um, the, the perceived hurdle of how the organization is going to handle all of those findings all of the all of that learning um, and so to, to Brent's point, um, yeah, what, what is the, uh, I'm still searching for a, a metaphor. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, you know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking when I got to tour the, uh, uh, the mine, uh, uh just, uh, uh, down south of New Zealand steel there. And they talked about, uh, pulling out, uh, pulling the, uh, the, the raw material, mining up the raw material, and putting it through a process and uh, to, to refine it down, if you will, to the to what they were looking for and different percentages of different concrete. So it's really that processing. It's it's starting with a with a, a lot of raw information and, and having an efficient system to to process it and refine it to those those key parts. Learning teams, obviously, on top of everyday learning, learning teams are a huge part of being able to do it, but. From an organizational perspective, um, learning, there's so much to learn that the learning effort, not so much the, you know, the, the learning effort itself, but the, the management of the learning, um, uh, just huge effort. So how do we um, assist them? How do, these, how do these tools and methods help them pour through so much data? I think that's that's the bit that we're seeing and the example I've seen recently is that we were working with a team and the word resource came up and so on the day resource was really important but over a week it was lost again because you know they're, they're having that freestyle that every day learning team meeting and resource was the word that came up over a week it disappears again and then it pops up again and so what you need is a way of viewing that to say, well, you know, this month resource came up eight times out of 22 working days. So it's really important. And that's the bit that, ne that we need to make sense of because obviously the uh, people at the front, on the front line, resource is one of the issues that's giving them, that's, it comes up on, on these meetings. And that's where the, I think that the strength of these things come from. You don't have to learn about every individual meeting or every individual learning team event when it's everyday learning what you need to do is be able to pick out 
the important nuggets that are within those and then say, okay, let's go and have a look at this. And that's where I think Brent gets to when he talks about having a learning team on that, that particular result. So for the next month, we're going to say, okay, well, this resource issue that keeps popping up, this, this signal that we're getting, that's periodic, but not, it's not the same time frame. It's different days, might be a week apart, and it gets lost in the noise of the organization. When we can pull that out and then look at that, that becomes a really powerful way of taking that everyday um, information and doing something positively. And that's where I see the strength of this stuff. It's that's that's what people are looking for. The, the, you know, the people that I'm talking to at least. So it is about distilling something, isn't it? It's about taking the volume of of, of information that's coming forward and distilling it so you can see where the trends are. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you take those trends, pop it back through a learning team and, and really start to explore it. Yeah, but but link it. I, I think the two things here is is linking that, that frequency of use or that, you know, that, of, of it, how it's appearing, but combining it with the sentiment of the narrative that uh, workers are sharing with us because that sentiment is telling us whether they are, are coping within their own means or they're struggling. Well, it gives you a sense of importance, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, that, that sentiment tells you the, the kind of the feelings and um, the actions that are often attached to something because of how, how much it has been spoken about or the veracity in which it's been spoken about. Which, which I would say, Jeff, is a, is a bit of an indicator about that resilience component. Of, of how the humans are, um, are performing within the system. Yeah, it, 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 this, this detection, I, I think it's wonderful what you guys have done to, to add to this uh, knowledge capture, but knowledge processing or, or distillation. Understanding the frequency of words or the frequency of signals um, and, and then the sentiment of that signal, the narrative that sits behind uh. it. The meaning right right almost three-dimensionalizing the, the the capture it feels like the learning um <laughs> i'm reminded of those um radio bursts those those detected radio bursts and and are they is it a lot of information compressed is is each one at just a tiny portion of information um so yeah this 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 new means of, of, of really being sensitive to context and, and monitoring all of the rich nuance in the context of the work and, and being able to look at that over time, uh, looking at it from different perspectives, uh, finding all those linkages. Um, it's, it's just, I just, I mean, how happy are you? Let me, let me change subject and flip it back. How happy are you guys every day now? How exciting is this? That not only have we kind of uh, found ways to open up that hatch door in our floor, our asymptotic floor, and, and look down there. And we know there's a lot of mining and then distillation that has to be done with the information, you know, that's been below our floorboards. How great is it? How great is it to be playing in this new amazing sandbox? It's fantastic. I, I, you know, from an organizational's point of view, organization's point of view, and to use one of Brent's metaphors, you know, for the first time, we're actually looking out the front window of the car moving down yeah. the freeway because a lot of the stuff we've been doing in the past is looking backwards through the rear vision mirror saying, oh, you know, based on the 
the things that have happened in the past, um, we should be okay in the future. Not true. You know, this is I. I'm super excited by this. This is it makes so much sense to me. It's an exciting time. That's a brilliant, brilliant metaphor because That's that great. would then say that, that what we're talking about now. Then now that we're looking through the windshield, finally is things like depth perception and you know uh, judging time motion I mean metaphorically you know that's sort of our view how about you Glenna yeah look I think the potential is really there isn't it I was just thinking as we were talking just the power it gives to a practitioner again I think that you know when you're looking at trying to manage risk if you're always looking backwards it's very difficult to project what's going forward and I think what we're talking about here are is an ability to really understand what impacts on how work is being done. If we understand how work is really being done, then actually we can have much more robust conversations and possibly more accurate conversations about how risk is really being managed in that context. So I think it gives people such an incredible amount of insight. I think it gives people an opportunity to be much more, I suppose, um, as, the ability to really have an understanding of how work is being done. And I don't think we should be scared about metrics. I mean, we've been thinking about this quite a bit, Jeff. And, you know, organisations want activity measurements. You are measured, your income is measured by the hours that you work. You know, uh, you measure how many hours you sleep at night. We shouldn't be scared of measuring activities. I think the thing that we're trying to really understand is, is how do we link that, uh, that metric, that activity component with that whole sort of qualitative narrative. So it's great to say that we, we've undertaken, you know, 25 pre-starts for the month. Okay, that, that by itself doesn't really tell us much. It just says that we've got a series of activities. But of those 25 activities, here are the six key themes that have come through. This is our measure of um, the resilience that those workers faced across those 25 things. And here is what the looting team found when the organization became curious and engaged those workers to get a deeper and better understanding. I think that's a really good point because you're not letting go of something you're already doing. You're actually using it to learn something and to delve into it with more depth. And I think that's so important as we move forward. You know, instead of saying, you know, our um, LTIRs are 50% of what they were in whenever, whatever year, that's not a useful, it's not a useful measure. What, what is a useful measure is taking a particular data point and then expanding on it. I think that's a really powerful outcome. And aren't we just, aren't we trying to strive towards the presence of something? Yes. And aren't we just putting a context mm -hmm. around that presence of something? Rather than its absence. That's right. Yeah. Whoa, was that mind blowing, Jeff? <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking about predictive indicators and that you know we're talking about the move from lag to the move to this sensitivity around around what's really going on in operations um and and i love this bit of the conversation um and but i like that we're stopping short of making any claims to to leaking in the 
in the predictive sense. Uh, I have said for, we've had this conversation before that, um, you know, time will tell, time will tell. But I don't know, I, the present work is critical in that refinement or that distillation. If we're going to have any hope in the coming years to to really bring in something that's a predictive for, for success or, or, or just performance, operational performance success, um, this um, that we're entering into now in earnest critical to getting there, but we couldn't get directly there from where we were. Yeah, look, I, I, I suppose I've been thinking, you know, just lately, not only, you know, should we be asking, you know, um, uh, better questions for, for better outcomes, we should also be asking different questions for different outcomes. And, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be scared of trying things differently. No. Safe. Oh, Safe, I, I, adaptive. I mean, at the end of the day, we're getting people to share narrative. Yeah, it's... it's not well, asking ask people to put tools down or to change tools out. We're getting them to share narrative. We're also asking people to critically reflect. Um, we're asking them to appraise what they do in practice and it's being generated at a worker level. I, I can only see benefit coming from that. Yeah, Glennis, your, your topic of reflection has come up. I think of you every time, actually. It comes up recently and we talk whether it's, you know, soak time or whether that's professional reflection or facilitator reflection. Um, just, it's just so, it's, it's so valuable. Um, that word is, is creeping in more and more. Uh, yes, and, and look, it's so valuable that we're not far away from releasing our first uh, learning team's facilitator journal the journal of ah. reflection as we may call it who knows um and how this... how soon sh how soon should i start checking my mailbox well look um very shortly <laughs> very shortly um jeff will be seeking um for both you and todd to make some contribution with some insightful words of wisdom oh out of the well, process I'll... out of the process jeff uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I've, I've created a little um, uh, one-minute mindful minute for the journal, so that so that people can can sort of become more present and center themselves whilst they reflect. So we're doing all sorts of guru type things, and I and I could just imagine you with a, a nice caftan and a scented candle, and just sharing your wisdom with us. I've been super excited about our, our recent conversations about the, the four Ds. Yeah. And about, look, I gotta tell you, it's, it, that's been so fascinating. And I, I shared a little bit of insight with a group the, the other day and they sat there and they just looked and they said, oh my God. Yeah. They said that makes just so much sense. So go through the four Ds again. Maybe Jeff can. Oh. Well, now, given given the, how much fun this conversation is, I want to make up four sassy D words. But um, <laughs> the ones we're sticking with are going are uh, are dumb, dangerous, difficult, or different. Um, and um, unfortunate in some workplace sensitivity. It's, it's not a terrific word, but but we're we're looking. We're looking at how people make sense. And, and I've gotten a lot of uh, mileage 
uh, on that um, when discussing with operational leaders how you know the common sense that they used to rely on uh, is, is pretty much dissipated. I, I think I was saying the other day, I think common sense started dissipating from society in the 80s. Some hair or the colors I wore in the 80s say, does that make sense? Yes. Um, but you know, we do want to inquire about sense. So dumb, dangerous, obviously risk, uh, difficult, just operational, difficulty, hardship, and uh, different. It's an in- inquiry about change. Um, and so Ivan, Ivan, Ivan Tuplady, Best Forest Service has been three days now for for quite a while uh, when they were heading into risky operations. And and for our kind of industrial operations, we added difficulty as a that's sort of a metric of operational challenge, um, but they're they're terrific. I, I I don't know that it's that particular set of questions <clears throat> in detail or what each of them will unpack. Although each of them has unpacked or shown us a lot of stuff, I think that taken as a whole, that that level of curiosity um, uh, as as kind of in those in those four four points. Uh, just the kind of conversation we want to initiate. I think they're excellent at portraying how low a threshold operational leaders uh, want when it comes to what they hear about and what's interesting to them. Um, yeah, they're powerful. Simple, powerful, um, and really, the you know, the devil's in the details. So, so some nuts of gold come up through that process, but but even if the 4D inquiry process doesn't yield any any golden nuggets, um, it's great exchange. It's really appropriate, uh, beneficial type of exchange and and uh, and curiosity and operations. Look, I hundred percent with you. I, I mean, it's really interesting. You know, when I first heard it, um, you know, the dumb word didn't sit with me particularly well, and I know it didn't sit with Glynis. But what we're saying is we're looking at this through the lens of the worker, not looking at the worker. So it's looking through their lens. And the dumb is about, you know, they're not able to make sense of something. It just doesn't make sense to them. Therefore, it is dumb to them. Not that the worker is dumb. It's just dumb to them. Yeah. And I think, or, or, yeah, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, and I think that's, that's perfect because, because Ultimately, if we can provide people with a, a a framework that they can, you know, think about them within those four segments, it starts a conversation. Yeah, and that's I did some stuff a couple of weeks ago when we ran it through a um, installation crew on, on instruction site, and the guys really liked it because the way they used dumb was they had a particular uh, methodology that they were given. And the guy doing the work said, this is dumb. This isn't going to work, right? And he goes, it's a really good way of talking about it. That initiates the conversation say, hey, this is dumb and it's made it difficult. Let's go back and, and review this and, and come up with a better way of doing it. And I, it's such a powerful, easy way to do it. You know, the organization has to then be able to say, oh, you know, we've got a, a dumb signal. Let's go do something with it. We, we follow that back up again. But typically the guys at the front line are going, okay, we're going to re- rewrite this uh, particular safe work method statement and then um, and modify it. And at, 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 to Brent's point and to your point, Jeff, it started the conversation. Great conversation. They didn't, didn't 
keep what they had. They actually modified it, which is what all the organizations I talk to want. They're happy for them to be modified. They learned something from it and they got an improvement from their site crews. You know, so there, there's an operational effectiveness that came out of it as well, which is super powerful. And I think that's the bit we miss some, not just about safety. Um, I, I wanted to make a comment about the four Ds. Uh, I worked with a, a group the other day that were very diverse. And what I would say for, you know, when people have English as a second language where there's literacy issues, health and safety is very exclusive. You know, we're asking workers all of the time to, you know, identify hazards, to assess risk. And actually you're asking them to do something that's really conceptual. And when you start to use those four Ds or whatever that, that language is that belongs to those workers in the context where they work, suddenly health and safety becomes much more inclusive. And actually that's what I think that we, this is really what this conversation is about. Yeah. It is about how do we get inclusivity for workers where work is being done? How do we actually get in, inclusivity for the organization? How do they make some sense of that? And so how do you get that partnership between the two? Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, I, that that too has been a topic of conversation. That diversity is is something that can be achieved. A diverse workforce can be achieved just through hiring practices. But but to really be inclusive of that workforce, uh, I think that this 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 thing we're talking about really helps us go there um, by making it informal. And you know, I might say that. So we've known about weak signals almost as long as the the safe culture, you know, term has been thrown around. That 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 after major incidents, uh, they retrospectively went back and found, um, you know, weak signals, and 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 sometimes they're they're still spoken of that way. But you know, in the in the years since then, us going out in in foresight, us going out looking ahead, and, and and really being sensitive to these things. I, I think that uh, that's what they, that to me is what these questions yield for us, is just little whispers, just little thoughts, um, weak signals, uh, our ability to then you know, refine them, distill them is, is really critical. But I think that this safety science or academic work, uh, you know, I, it need not be, the pursuit of weak signals need not be incredibly complex uh, and difficult. Uh, uh, I, it could be as simple as, as feeding the baby, really. I mean, um, this, uh, these, these questions we're asking are very simple. And I got to say, if, if, if what we're learning from the 4D is baby food, then uh, as, a, as a father of four young, a grandfather of four young grandchildren, baby food is highly nutritious. Yeah. And it helps them grow up strong. And, and uh, I just think that where there's where there is a simple and effective means to to out in the feet with people who work, if, if there's a simple, effective way to, to, to learn these things we know we need to learn, there's absolutely no need for those people or, or even the practitioners to know the lineage ideas around weak signals and where they came from or all that like just uh, those origins are not important what's important is that frontline leaders can engage effectively with their people about real context and that the organization has a means to process it and i think we're there a hundred percent because ultimately we're trying to uh, you know, the projects that we're trying to focus on and, and, you know, I'm super excited with some of the stuff that's going on is about 
how to provide a way of capturing those weak signals across multiple means and methods, um, but turn that, put, put them through the equalizer or whatever other uh, metaphor for music we're going to apply today, and then turn those into strong signals. And from those strong signals come learnings. And learning teams is the mechanism to make sense of the strong signals. Yeah, I I, I, I like that metaphor too. Um, uh, a song played incredibly slowly that has to be set up to be made sense of, or a song played incredibly quickly that just sounds like a, a blast and it needs to be slowed down and drawn out to be to be made sense of to become apparent. Um, so I think that this handling of information that we're talking about, handling of contextual, this rich contextual data, that's 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 the new sort of exciting uh, part of the journey. That's right. That narrative, <laughs> guys. This is great fun. I would. We should chat more often. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.